attention to certain leadership issues in the church, uh, again, to make some clear uh, uh, points about uh, the importance of leadership in the church. So I'd like for you to turn, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 13. I started thinking last night, I, I have this long, long passage to read, and uh, one big passage that I don't, I don't even explain. Uh, I, I'll try to explain it a little bit today just to give you a little bit of a sense of it. But in reality, there's two, two verses of Scripture in this passage that, that we're really going to focus on. But I, I'm, I'm one that really believes that context is so important, so I, I just want to, uh, to read this whole passage. And I think it's very encouraging, though, to you as, as the church to hear these words of Hebrews chapter 13. So we'll begin with verse 7 because this is one of the verses that we're going to focus upon in this, in this issue of church leadership. <clears throat> I'm one who truly and continually believes that it is the Apostle Paul who wrote the book of Hebrews. So Paul says in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 7, remember them which have the rule over you. Now I want to explain something about the phrase rule over you. Because in this day of political correctness, that would be something that a lot of people would kind of frown upon. People frown upon ruling over people, submitting, you know, certain people have to submit to others, especially in the church, and so they don't understand. But see, here's the thing. People don't understand the language of the Scriptures. They don't understand the Spirit and the language of the Scriptures. So when we see these things, and I'll explain it later, but when we see these things, it's all for good. And we need to understand it from that perspective. So Paul says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation, which means the goal of their conduct. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. Now, I, I, I wanted to read on here because uh, real, we, we need to realize that one, one of the, the major factors uh, that, that uh, exist in our church is that we teach the Word of God properly, rightly, correctly, and divide it rightly. So, you know, sometimes if you don't do it that way, there, there comes up these strange and weird and diverse doctrines. This, of course, is pointing to weird and diverse doctrines of the, of the uh, Jewish faith. But it says, be not cured about with diverse and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. We have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve uh, the tabernacle. Very simply, the altar for us is the cross. And everything goes to the cross for us. And anything done outside of that, even if you, if you try to you know, memorialize a tabernacle in the wilderness, you go out and change your, your clothing and all of that, that's not going to work. It comes back down to the, the altar of the cross that, where, where, where we have, as believers have, have come. Uh, for the, body, the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned uh, without, which means outside of the camp. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate or without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him outside of the camp. And again, this, this refers to that camp where people are saying, you know, this is, this is where we worship, this is how we worship, and all of that. Well, Jesus died outside of the, outside of the camp to say, we, we, you know, he did everything outside of the world, and we're not to be in the world, we're to be outside of the world and be with Jesus, okay? So that's, that's pretty much the explanation with that, just a very simple way. Bearing his reproach. So we bear the reproaches of Christ 
For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. And of course, we don't have a city here on this earth. We're, we're, we're looking forward to the one that is in heaven with, with him. So then, therefore, then we turn to worship. So by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. That is what we are to do from that heart of, uh, that has been established by grace. But to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. The sacrifice of praise. He's very well pleased with that. Now we get to the second verse that we're going to look at today, and that is, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Pray for us. For we trust we have a good conscience in all things willing to live honestly. But I beseech you the rather to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect or complete in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. All right. As I've said before, it is a very special time for us to present the leadership of Calvary Chapel of El Paso to the whole of our congregation as well as to our guests that are present here today. And while it is to be a joyous occasion, one of the great burdens that I carry is that all of us would take note of the fact that biblical spiritual leadership in the church of Jesus Christ is a completely different model than the models of leadership in the world, whether political, business, financial, or otherwise, and therefore requiring a different perspective about leadership. And truly, as I've stated, but I want to state again, and I'll state it again as I go through this whole time, truly it is all about service. It is about service. It is about ministry. The word ministry itself comes from actually a Roman word, uh, Latin as it were I, I say Roman but Latin because it comes from a word that means very simply service for example the word minestrone how many of you know that minestrone is an Italian soup right minestrone well it literally means something that is served to you and, and so the word ministry is all about service a couple of things are for sure. There are a couple of things that are, that, that, that are foundational. And that is, first of all, the foundation of all leadership. The foundation of all leadership in the church of Jesus Christ is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. That is one reason why verse 8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. There are those who believe that in verse 7 it was, it was said that uh, those, you know, remember those who rule over you, that sometimes uh, he was referring also to leaders from the past who had gone on to be with the Lord. Remember them and follow their example. But whether they're alive or dead, one thing is for sure, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and he's still the foundation of all leadership in the church. And secondly, the second sure thing 
is that the people chosen in positions, or for positions, I should say, in ministry, uh, as the scriptures describe, are simply earthen vessels. Earthen vessels. Now that's the biblical terminology. It would be easier for me just to say that those who are in positions of leadership are clay pots. Clay pots. That's an earthen vessel. So let's consider the two things. The foundation of Jesus Christ as, as the, uh, the ultimate leader of the church and those that are put into positions of leadership as earthen vessels. Let's first of all go to Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 18. And you say, boy, you sure picked long passages to, to read. Uh, that's okay. It's, it's, all, it's all for good. The Word of God is good to read, isn't it? But it's also good to read in context. So in Colossians 1 verse 9 it says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. Leaders praying for the church. Uh, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The leaders desire to have everyone receive the word of God, to understand the word of God, and to live the word of God. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Giving thanks unto the Father, which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. So our leader's desire is also that the church would be a worshipful community of people. Colossians 1.13, who has delivered us, speaking of Jesus, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. The leader is, is responsible for making sure that the church remembers what Jesus Christ has done for us individually as well as, as corporately, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. It is the leader's responsibility to make sure that we know who Jesus Christ fully and truly is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that, in, that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. By him all things are held together. And then we see in verse 18, the key verse. And he is the head of the body, the church. That is the climax of this whole passage. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. That he would receive all of the praise, all the honor, all of the glory, all of the focus of what takes place in the church of Jesus Christ. When it comes then to the leaders in the church, we have to consider this particular passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. For again, it, it brings focus and attention to the very fact that leaders in the church are human, human, not superhuman, not uber human, but human. 
Notice in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 1, Paul says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry. What is ministry? It's service. Seeing that we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we faint not. Thank the Lord that we get God's mercy every day to serve Him. But have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness nor handling the Word of God deceitfully. You know, this is, this is not what we're all about. We, we, have to be, we have to be very focused on, on rightly dividing the Word of God. So we don't want to present ourselves in a dishonest way. And we don't want to present the Word of God in a deceitful way. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God, we have a responsibility before God and an accountability to each other to do things right. And then in verse uh, 3 it says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. Take note, we preach not ourselves. Now what that doesn't mean is that we don't have the opportunity and the privilege at times to give our testimonies to say that this is what God has done in our life. But that's not preaching ourselves. The ultimate thing is that when we give our testimony, we are preaching Christ and what he did for us and to us to change us and to make us what we are today. So we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants, servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. We were made really, from the beginning, out of the dust of the ground. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are simply human. But the whole purpose is so that the excellency of the power is of God. Then come from us. None of us are special that way. None of us have superpowers. And we got all of these, uh, uh, you know, action things going on in the movies nowadays that everybody wears really weird clothes and they jump and scream and yell and become all kinds of stuff. We're human. The more human in that particular sense... the Lord then is magnified all the more. We want to magnify the Lord. We want Him to be honored and glorified. And if anyone established the perfect understanding of ministry and service in the church, it was Jesus as well. For when James and John, two of his disciples, once sought positions of honor, wanting to sit both on on Jesus' right hand and on his left. And one time they even brought their mother to kind of influence Jesus. Well, you know what happened when when that happened? Let's turn to Mark chapter 10 for just a moment. Because there in Mark chapter 10, we see something interesting happen. Two of his disciples say, listen, Lord, we want to sit at your right hand and on your left. 
And what does that first of all do to the other ten disciples? Well, we're told in verse 41, when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. Now, why were they displeased? Were they displeased because these guys were showing selfish tendencies? Well, to a certain extent, yes, but also the very fact that they, you know, who, who do they think they are? Well, it was in their very hearts as, as well. A lot of times we don't realize that their, their, their jealousy here was because, you know, they, they just came out and said what they wanted to do. But they may have very, very well wanted the same thing. And this is the reason why in the next verse, Jesus gathers them all together. He says, Jesus called them to him and said unto them, you know. He's not just talking to these two, he's talking to all of the disciples. He says, you know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them. The way that the world is doing things, that's how they do it. Exercising rule and lordship over people. And their great ones exercise authority upon them. Sitting at somebody's right hand or left hand is a measure of authority. But so shall it not be among you. So shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you. See, this is the paradox of Christianity. Whosoever shall be great among you shall be your minister, your diakonos, your servant. Diakonos is the Greek word for servant. It is a word that we find in Acts chapter 6, we'll get to in a moment. When there was a need in the early church to have certain people minister to that, they could, that the apostles themselves could not get to everybody. There were so many people. And they, they, they raised up deacons, diaconos. But it's a, just a simple word, servant. If you want to be great in the kingdom of the Lord, you must first be a servant. Which means if you want to be first, you've got to be last. Verse 44, whosoever of you will be the chiefest, in other words, first, shall be servant. Now here's another word, doulos, of all. This word means bond slave. A bond slave who is committed completely to his master. In other words, some slaves were, you know, they, they didn't want to be slaves. But a doulos was one who said, I gladly am your slave. And whoever will be the chiefest, the first shall be servant of all. And then Jesus said this, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto. He came not to be served but to minister, to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. And we cannot take the first part of this passage and leave out the last part if we're going to be ministers of Jesus Christ. Because if we didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give our lives. To give our lives for the sake of the kingdom of God and the gospel. Later on in the life of Jesus, toward the end of his earthly ministry, 
on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples together and he washed their feet. He took a position of servanthood, a position of a slave. He girded himself like a slave and he lowered himself to wash the feet of his disciples. And then he said this to his disciples. Turn to John 13. He said this to them in verse 13. He said, you call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. You see, it's very important for us to realize that Jesus says, listen, I I know who I am. (laughs) I know why I've come. I am the Lord. I am the master. But then he said, if I then, your, master, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Is that the way of the world? Is that the leadership model of the world? Not one bit. It's not even the leadership model of some parts of the church. Then he says, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. As I have lowered myself to serve you, so you are to lower yourself to serve others. And then he said, verily, verily, truly, truly, truthfully, truthfully, I say unto you, The servant is not greater than his Lord. Neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. So if Jesus bowed, should we not bow? And then he said, if you know these things, happy are you if you do them. If you want true joy in your Christian life, then understand that when you, if you know these things, then happy are you when you do these things. You'll rejoice in doing them. See, too often in, 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 in churches today, people get certain jobs and, or, or, or they're asked to do something, you know, and, 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 and they, they, on the outside they kind of have this little smile, but on the inside they got stinky face. Or, you know, and inside they say, well, I don't want to do this. Well, how come me? There should have been somebody else. Blah, 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 blah. Hey! Bond slave! Servant! A bond slave is happy to serve his master. Okay, so, you know, you, you don't want to go do it. Hey, you know, but, but, but do it because you love the Lord. And because that's your joy. That that is our joy. To serve. We don't put a price on that. That's putting treasure in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust can destroy. Nor thieves can break in and steal. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. The heart has to be a servant's heart. 
And Jesus gave us that example. And while our model of ministry leadership may be different than other churches and denominations that interpret the scriptures in a more diverse way, especially as it pertains to the meaning of words such as uh, episkopos and presbuteroi, these are two uh, Greek words that uh, describe the, the, the positions of, of bishop or, 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 or elder. And, uh, you know, so it, it's used both in the spiritual and in the physical capacities of, of service, whatever it is. I mean, you know, some people take those words and they've made denominations around them, you know, the Episcopos, like the Episcopal Church, you know, and they have a hierarchy and a leadership, uh, you know, that uh, seems to, you know, the people are at the bottom and, and it rises up to them, you know. Same with the, the Presbytery, you know, the Presbyterian Church comes out of that particular model and, and they've established a certain model for that. And, and you know, there's two different basically two different types of, of, of church leadership in, in uh, using those two uh, models. We want to try to stay as biblical as possible. So there are four characteristics of appropriate, balanced, godly leadership that our pastors, our elders and our deacons our teachers, our helpers, our servants throughout all of the church here are to maintain in and through their lives. So we're not just talking about the men who stood before you, but the men and women who serve our children, the men and women who serve us in the kitchen, the men and women who serve us in, 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 in the security, the, you know, all of these things. This is for you. These are the four characteristics of leadership that we are to maintain in and through our lives, but especially our pastors, our elders, and our deacons. Are you ready? Number one. And it comes from Hebrews 13, so we're going to go back to Hebrews 13. Speak the word of God. Speak the word of God. Now we look at verse 7, because that's where it tells us this characteristic. Remember them which have the rule over you, and, uh, who have spoken unto you the word of God. Now we come back to the, the phrase, who have rule over you. Because again, we look at it from the, if we look at it from the perspective of the world and per- political correctness, you know, what are we saying? Oh yeah, people that rule over you and tell you what to do and tell you what to give and tell you when to give and tell you when to eat and tell you when to speak and tell you when to sleep and all that. No. Very simply, the words that are used there in the Greek or the word in particular, rule over you, is one word. It is a word that, that, that deals with being a leader and a guide through the word of God to bring you to follow Christ. I know that's a lot of stuff in there, but that's, that's really what that word suggests in its, in its entirety. To lead and to guide through the word of God, to teach it, to, to have you learn it and walk in it. That's rule over you. Well, that's the whole different perspective, isn't it? Than having me go down there and say, here, kiss my ring. I don't even have a ring. Do, do you understand? Do, do you understand? Okay, some of you do, some of you are afraid to an- answer. That's Okay. While the pastors and the elders have the particular responsibility of overseeing what is taught and preached from the pulpit, 
all of our leadership, all of them must and need to live in the Word of God. We all need to live in the Word of God. We must read it. We must study it. We must devote ourselves to it. We must digest the Word of God in our lives each and every day. To follow the Lord's direction, one must walk with God. How best to walk with God than to be in God's Word each and every day, to hear Him speak to us individually, to hear Him encourage our hearts through His Word, to stand up and go forth and do the things that God has called us to do in the most simplest way sometimes and sometimes even in the most terrible or or tragic circumstances, we have to serve the Lord. But if we are not grounded in God's Word, grounded in the love of God, and grounded in the love of Christ, and grounded in the love of the Spirit, and grounded in the love of His Word, where are we going to be? What good will we be to you as the church? Our full authority, our full authority comes from the Word of God. And we need to love the Word of God. Do you know how precious the Word of God is to God Himself? Read Psalm 138, verse 2. As a matter of fact, here it is. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou, you Lord, thou has magnified thy word above all thy name. What a powerful statement. For thou has magnified thy word above all thy name. Thy name, thy, thy authority, the, the, you know, what your name represents. Your word is, 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 is that which oversees it all. The second part of verse 7. The second part of verse 7 gives us our second characteristic that leaders are to exhibit. And that is, and that's what we've been leading up to, walk the way of faith. Walk the way of faith. The second part of the verse says, whose faith follow, considering the end or the goal of their conduct, of their conduct. Conversation means conduct. What we speak, in other words, we must live. What we speak, we must live. Our lips and our life must match up. We need to exhibit a faith worth imitating. Consider that the table servers in the early church Acts chapter 6, that this is what was observed by the apostles. This is what they were look, this is what they were they were observing in these men. Now I want you to turn to Acts chapter 6 for a moment and look at verse verses 2 and 3. You can actually go back and read this, this whole section yourself later and notice people like Stephen who it says, a man full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. 
But here it says in verse 2, Then the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them. Why? Because in verse 1 it tells us that there was this, this, this controversy, this struggle, because there were so many of a, a, a certain portion of, of the church that wasn't, that, that wasn't they, they weren't having their needs met. The church did a lot for the early church at the time. The the uh, the body of Christ, you know, did a lot for the people that were coming into the into the church at the time. And the Hellenistic Jews and the women were not being treated because they weren't getting to them. Everybody expected the apostles to be like Moses for a while back in the wilderness when Moses was doing everything for everybody. And it took his father-in-law Jethro to tell Moses, "Hey, Moses, you need to get yourself and appoint some men to help you out." So here we see here in verse 2, it says, And the twelve called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. They realized what their main duty was, and it was to teach the people the word of God. But if they were trying to get ready to do that, and they, when then they were trying to serve tables, uh, it was, it was uh, in, in effect destroying their particular purpose. So then it says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you. Look out among you. Seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we, whom we may appoint over this business. What was the business? Serving tables. Diakonoi trapeza, serving tables in the Greek. Serve the tables. Be a servant. The requirement wasn't that you had your, your, your health card from the, from the county. You know what the requirement was? Full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. Just to serve tables. Wow. starts to make sense now what Jesus said to his disciples. As you have seen me do, you do as well. Wash each other's feet. Take care of each other. The third characteristic of balanced godly leadership is found in verse 17. So we jump down to verse 17. That characteristic is keep watch over your people. Keep watch over your people. Let's read verse 17 again. It says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Oh, this, oh, this political correctness is, you know, uh, this is, you know, it would be the very target right here, right? First of all, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. You know, if you say it in that terminology, it's like, wow, that's pretty oppressive. But that's, you have to understand the language. You have to, stand, have to understand the meaning. Obey them. But what is them doing? Them is teaching the Word of God. Obey the Word of God. That guide you in the Word of God. That, that, that lead you and guide you through it and teach you through the Word of God. Obey them and submit yourselves. In effect, what you're doing is obeying the Word of God. That's what we're asking you to do is listen, pay attention to, we're going to rightly divide the Word so that you can hear it and then do it. Makes a lot more sense that way, right? Because that's the, the way it's intended to be in the Scriptures. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch your souls. For they watch for your souls. 
We are watching for your souls. So we want to give you the right word every time we get together here. We don't want to wrongly divide it. We don't want, you, we don't want to lead you astray. We don't want to deceit, uh, deceitfully teach this word. And I'll tell you why, because of the next phrase. But we won't get to the next phrase yet. Don't look at it. For they watch for your souls. This phrase refers to a surveillance that does not sleep. A care and a concern that never ceases. In all of the trials and pressures that the Apostle Paul mentioned in his life, and there's various places where, the, where, the Lord, where Paul mentions certain things that he went through as an apostle, as, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, and, and, and going from place to place, and facing all kinds of things, and we read about them in the book of Acts as well. But in one particular place, in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul gives this tremendous list of things that he, he has gone through, the, the trials and the pressures of the ministry. But then he comes to verse 28 of chapter 11. Look at 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight, And he says, besides those things that are without in others, besides all the things that have taken place out, outside, he says, that which cometh upon me daily. Aside from all of those other things, though this is the one concern, he says, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. See, Paul was concerned about all the places where he had visited, all the places where he knew the gospel of Jesus Christ had gone, all of the cities that had, that, that had churches in them and, and, and congregations of believers, Corinth and, and Philippi and, and Colossae and, and Thessalonica and, you know, just on and on, Ephesus and, and just, you know, this was his burden. This is what was on him all the time. This was one of the greater pressures, as it were, for him to keep focused in prayer for them because he cared for them. He cared that the word of God was preached properly, that was preached rightly and, and, and rightly divided. We care to do what is right for you. So as these men stood up before you here today, it wasn't to receive the applause of men. It was just to say, these are the men that care for you. And I pray that we would take it, well, we're going to get to that in a moment, but I would take it very seriously what God has called us to be. Because in the next phrase of Hebrews 13, verse 17, that gives us our fourth characteristic. Prepare to give an account. This is the most serious part of leadership in the church. We have to give an account. And this is why Paul says, for they watch over your souls as they that must give account. We have to give account before God for what we have done with you and for you. But that, that we might do it with joy and not with grief. I'm, th- I'm thankful, and I mean this with all my heart, I'm thankful that I've had more joyous days than grievous days. But that doesn't mean there haven't been grievous days. There are always grievous days in the ministry. But every morning, the sun arises, and I know one thing. God's mercies are new every morning, and great is His faithfulness. So I can arise with joy 
because joy is my strength. God's joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Better that we have joy in the ministry than grief. Because it, if we are grieved, it's not profitable for you all. It's not profitable for the church. So let me just say about this point. Increased responsibility means increased accountability. Increased responsibility means increased accountability. We are accountable to one another. I don't stand before you as a senior pastor of this church without accountability to my pastors and to my leadership. I am accountable to them, but I'm also accountable to you. So this is a place where, you know, I can stand here and some of you will have put targets on me. That's fine. And others of you may not understand what I'm saying. That's okay. Just come and ask. I always answer questions. At least I try. But when I teach God's word, I am accountable to God first and above all because I have to give an account for what I teach. I have to give an account for how I teach. I have to give an account for when I teach, which is when the Lord has given me those opportunities. So in that, Paul immediately asks for prayer. Because it's not an easy thing to be responsible for the Word of God. In fact, in James chapter 3, we're told, uh, in verse 1, it says, My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Masters meaning teachers. Be not many of you uh, teachers, uh, knowing that you shall receive the greater condemnation. The greater responsibility falls upon us. This is the reason I have a big pulpit. I don't want you to see that every time I come here, my, my knees are shaking. Because I don't want to just come up here flippantly and just say, well, this is what the Word of God says, and you know, then I walk off and, and leave you all to yourselves. No, I care about what you hear. I agonize over the things that I teach from this pulpit before I even get here. The Word of God has to speak to me before it speaks to you. If I'm going to do this right, and if we are going to do this right as pastors and elders and deacons. All we ask is that you pray for those who have stood before you this day. That you would focus and stand upon the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word as we have taught you. And that you would remember and respect them in their calling. That's all we ask. And we only say that because that is what the Scripture says to you. Listen to 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13 because this is the last passage before we pray and dismiss today. Paul said, We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you, which is what we've done today, is present the leadership of the church. We beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly, which means respect them, 
very highly in love for their work's sake. And be at peace among yourselves. Be at peace among yourselves. As I said, it, it, it took a lot of time and prayer. And I have to tell you that there were some people that we, we asked to be a part of, of ministry, and they prayed, and seriously, they would say, we don't, I don't believe it's time yet. And we respected that, because we don't know everything. But we also know that the Lord has them still on on the radar, and there's many of you that are on the radar today. Uh, this isn't a definitive list here, but it is where we are today. So we ask for your prayers. We ask for your support in the sense of, of realizing what we go through each and every day, as I've mentioned today, in preparation to feed you the Word of God. You see, I'm just going to close, close real quickly with this statement by the Apostle Peter. Read it, and then we'll close in prayer. Y'all thought, I thought you said that was the last scripture. There's never the last scripture until Jesus comes, okay? All right. But in 1 Peter 5, Peter says, The elders which are among you I exhort who am also an elder. Notice. He doesn't look down on anyone. He says, here I'm talking to you eye to eye, folks. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. He says, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. The oversight is the word episkopoi. So that's the, the office, that's the, the work that is given to the elder. Not by constraint. In other words, not forced to do it, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, not just, you know, not just for, you know, for, for gain, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, you know, like looking down upon people and you have to look up to us because we, we are so much holier than you are. No! We're already proved we're all earthen vessels. So not lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, oh, listen, he's the one that we're responsible to and accountable to. When the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So, that's all we ask, that you pray for us. And esteem those that work tirelessly on your behalf. And in doing so, there will be peace among this church. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you so much, Father, for the opportunity this morning to have done all of this for the sake of this church, to encourage those here that, uh, Lord, you have spoken and uh, encourage the hearts of, of others to... Uh, to serve. And, you know, that's our encouragement as well, Lord, that, that we are not the only ones here that, uh, that serve. So many do, and we're thankful for that.
I pray, Father, that you will encourage other hearts to realize, Lord, the significance of, of servanthood so that, Lord, you will continue to grow your people and grow your church according to your will and purpose, even in these last days. We thank you and we bless you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.